0: First 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you would turn there with me, I want to be very practical today and deal with a very important subject. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to read verses 12 through 15. This is Paul writing to the young man, Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. Paul writes and says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Of whom I am chief. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We need your touch. Lord, while this subject applies to every single person here, there are going to be those in this room that this message is going to be, it's just going to be magnified to them for today. Don't know where they're at, don't know what's happened in their life, but the Holy Spirit has directed this time, Lord, so I pray that you would take the words that this servant would speak and minister these words into the heart of the hearer, into the belief of their emotional center. Lord, do a work that only you can do. We renounce the lies of the enemy. We accept the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' precious name. And the church said, Amen. I want to share with you a message on dealing with failure. Dealing with failure. Failure is a subject we all can relate to. It plagues It affects every single individual present. In fact, the perception of failure is so prevalent at certain holidays and seasons that people are left pondering and contemplating the very value of their life and their existence, all because of failure. And today I'm going to share not about whether you will fail, but more specifically about what your perspective and reaction to failure is. How do you deal with failure? The truth about failure, obviously, is that everyone fails. Everyone fails. Every single individual in this room, in this sanctuary, has made mistakes. Bad choices that you thought was going to do you in. Those of you who came in with your halo shining this morning, you're, you're being crushed at this very moment because you are not mistake-free. You are not sinless. In fact, participate with me in a little exercise right now. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you are going to blow it. I mean, some of y'all really enjoyed that. I hear the laughter. You, you might be thinking this is a God thing and you're wanting to really rehearse how they've blown it in the past. And they're probably thinking, I, I, I blew it because I sat next to you this morning. I have failed as a man. I have failed as a husband. I have failed as a father. I have failed as a pastor. Quite often, I have failed as a preacher. There are times that I have gone out of service scratching my head after I have delivered a message. Been known to beat myself up. It was in my first church. A great Christian lady came up to me after service. Wonderful testimony. And she walked out of service and she said to me, Pastor, I love you and I love my church, but I have no idea what you were talking about this morning. Now that'll plant your feet on the earth really, really fast. You know, we do pretty good beating ourselves up. We really prefer not to have someone else pointing out our failures. I saw a cartoon one time, and it was a conversation between the church secretary that was talking to the pastor. And this is what the secretary said. She said, Pastor, on Sunday you invited the congregation's critiques of your sermon, and I want you to know that this morning you have 120 emails and 48 phone messages and 32 faxes. People wonder why I take Mondays off. (laughs) Everyone fails. And the truth is, no one enjoys failure. No one rises up with a glowing smile and pounding their chest like Tarzan and yelling, I have failed and I am proud of it. No one does that. We commit a sin when we fail, when we make a mistake. A lot of times we want to hide. The example that came to my mind this week was the young lady that maybe has failed morally. And now she has that unplanned pregnancy and her life has been dramatically altered and she feels like she needs to hide. And unfortunately, too many of them hide in the abortion clinic, not realizing how they enlarge and magnify the failure even more. I believe this is why the church is so absolutely important. The church must be a hospital for souls that have a need for healing from their mistakes and from their failures without any condemnation. I'm convinced today, friends, I'll just be honest with you, I'm convinced that if anyone and everyone was accepted without regard to their reputation, to their failures, to their wrong choices, this church building Or the next church building, or the combination of both buildings uh, wouldn't be large enough to hold them all. And I'm asking the Lord to give us a spirit of fervent love in the church of God at Pulaski, a spirit of fervent love. A fervent love that, that someone may go out of here and say, hey, you know what, the, the preaching was average and, and the music was okay and the facilities, I may not have designed them that way and the children's ministries may not all be on the cutting edge. And yet when I walked out of that church, I felt love like I've never felt anywhere else. God, give us a spirit of fervent love. As a matter of fact, that's our charge. That's our calling. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, this is what the Word of God says. It says, above all things. Look at your neighbor and say, above all things above all things. He goes on to say, have fervent love among yourselves. If the music's not great, make sure you love over and above. If the preacher, if you scratch your head not knowing what he talked about, make sure you love your neighbor over and above. In other words, be active with love. Be aggressive with love. Be accepting with love. Be a Firming with love, no matter what anyone else does, I'm going to love each and every one of you with a fervent love and a Godly love, a God love. For God truly is love. I want to tell someone today that came to the house of God, and the devil's been taunting you all week about a decision or a choice or a, a sin that you committed. I want you to know your failure is not final. It is simply a stepping stone to the. The plan that God has for your life. Can someone say amen? I shared this in Wednesday night a few weeks ago. But Ty Cobb was one of the greatest baseball players of all times. And he had a lifetime batting average of 367. 367 out of a thousand. No one focuses on the fact that he flied out or struck out or grounded out 73% of the time. Nobody talks about his 733 percentage of unsuccess. No, they know him as a great baseball player because he had such a high batting average. Babe Ruth led the league in strikeouts five different times, and he struck out 1,330 times, but he also hit 714 home runs. Neither of these great men. You couldn't find uh, all the faults. You could talk about the faults of Hank Aaron, but people would recognize and they would tell you that he is still the home run king today because he did his home runs. The record still stands without any assistance from any kind of drugs. What I'm trying to tell you here is any one of these great men were not known by their failures, but by their accomplishments. And I want to tell someone in the house today, maybe it's a young person here, you, you're going to fail, but do like John Maxwell says, when you fall, not if, but when you fall, while you're down there, pick something up. I also want you to know that your failure does not make you a failure. I want to say that again. Somebody needs to get that into your spirit. Your failure does not make you a failure and you also need to know again I'll say it probably several times your failure is not final God is not sitting on the throne wringing his hands squirming because of the bad choice you made last week he hasn't stopped loving you and you didn't catch him off guard furthermore understand that some of the greatest lessons in our lives do not come from our past successes but they come from our our failures and I look back over my life and I look back over some of the bad choices that I made that God's mercy was extended to me and I realized that those were defining moments where I turned and twisted and was molded and shaped more in the image of Christ as I submitted to him. Oh God, help us to renounce the lies of the devil that he tries to whisper in our ear and understand that God loves you unconditionally and will never give upon you no matter how many times you have failed him the apostle Paul he understood failure if anybody in the New Testament understood failure the apostle Paul did if anyone could have perceived himself as a failure Paul would be the one First of all, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. He made some drastically wrong choices in his life. Paul held the coats of those that were stoning Stephen, a servant of Jesus. Paul persecuted Christians before his encounter with Christ. Even as a believer, some of the old ways he You find if you study his life, even after coming to Christ, he could be one to wash his hands of people that didn't agree with him and do it quickly. I also see that he had wrong priorities and values in his past. He was educated. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But I want to tell you something. For a long time of the time that he was on the face of the earth, he prioritized the wrong things, and he minimized the right things. He came to a revelation in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 when he said these words, All those things, all those accomplishments, all those degrees, all that education that I once thought was trophies, I count it but nothing as rubbish now. Paul's life was filled with difficulties. I'm telling you, five times he was beaten with 39 stripes. Let's grasp the magnitude of that. Almost 200 times, stripes were laid upon his back on five different occasions. Three times he was beaten with sticks. One time he was stoned and left for dead three times he was shipwrecked. This was all just a small sampling of the life that he lived plus all the care of the church. Can I tell you Paul was not the favorite preacher. And the people he used to party with when he was a sinner, they now wanted to kill him. And the people that he's a brother with now, they don't trust him. So he was hunted by old friends and mistrusted by new friends. Paul's prayers were not always answered in the way that he thought they should be. The the, uh, Theologians believe he had some physical abnormalities. Some believe he was a very short man, almost a dwarf-sized man. There are others that believe he had an eye problem. For sure he had a thorn in the flesh, and I'm not sure. I don't think anybody knows really what the thorn in the flesh was, but it was something that was afflicting him. And he prayed three times, and he said, God, I need you to take this away. And God did not Take it away from him. I'm telling you, Paul had a past. And let me just stop here and get real plain today. There are many in this room that your history... It would prove that you have committed fornication. There are some in this room that have committed adultery. Several in this room have lied or cheated or stolen. Some of you have done regrettable things while you were under the raging control of alcohol. Some of you greed got a hold of you where you lived beyond your means or you bought lottery tickets hoping for some winnings to bring you some peace and release. Hey, let's be honest. There may be a murderer among us today or someone who has turned to homosexuality or lesbianism which is still an abomination unto God there could very well be a pedophile in our midst you see i had a pastor tell me one time he was uh, he was going through a building program and and he had just finished the building he hadn't been in too long in it and he, he had a he had a person that came to his church that had been a he that had become a she and they came Came, they started attending uh, his church, and, and he, he, he talked to me one day. I never had that kind of experience before, but he talked. This was back in the uh, mid 90s, it's much more prevalent today. But he said, Man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. All I know is the person that was this sex before is now this sex, and they're going into this bathroom and they're wreaking all kinds of havoc, if you can imagine. Well, let me just put a commercial in here. We're gonna have a special restroom in the new building, and we can call it a family restroom we call a unisex restroom but I'm going to tell you right now we're going to love them we're going to show them the mercy of God but we're going to make sure that they go to a restroom that's more convenient for them and everybody else in the house of God can someone say amen the bottom line is well are you singling them out no I'm trying to protect the body and yet at the same time let them know that they are created and made in the image of God no matter what choices they have made in their lives we must have fervent love and wrap our arms around them hallelujah I'm here to tell you you're not alone we all have failed God we all have failed ourselves we all have failed others but let me just stop here flat-footed, and say, thank God for his grace that forgives all of our failures. Well, praise the Lord my God, somebody came in the house and they're beating themselves up. You need to know something. The word of God to you in Romans is this. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. The word of God to somebody this morning is found in the book of Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And the word we read this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14, the chief of sinners Paul wrote these words and said the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant to me I don't know what your past looks like but I'm telling you right now you don't have to dwell in your past all you have to do is surrender it to the Lord and his grace and his love covers a multitude of sins You may not be rich, but you are. You may not be wealthy, but you are loaded. You may not be well renowned, but you are priceless, all because grace has been exceedingly abundant to you. (laughs) Oh, someone shout right now thank God for his amazing grace. Come on, shout it loud. Thank God for his amazing grace. Thank God for his amazing grace. Hallelujah. So how did Paul respond to failure? I want to live successful, fulfilling, prosperous life in Christ, filled with the Lord's provision and protection and presence. I want to know how to work through my failures. For the next just couple of moments, I want to share with you four valuable lessons in responding to failure. Number one, Paul admitted that God was his source of strength. He said, when I am weak, he is strong. Chuck Colson, the writer of Loving God and the founder of a well-known prison ministries, he talks about his scholarships and his honors and his achievements and the cases that he has won. And he wrote in the book, he said, my life had been the perfect success story, the great American dream. But then he said, I suddenly realized it was not my success, that helped me and enabled me to help those in prison. He said, the reality was I was an ex-con. The biggest legacy of my life was being in prison. Wow. He said, my greatest humiliation was the beginning of God's purpose in my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory for his glory my Lord Chuck Colson wrote when I lost everything I found the true self God wanted me to be and the true purpose for my life and I'm telling you friend you are not your own you have been bought with a price and the one who redeemed you will display his strength through you at your greatest times of weakness even at times that you perceive are a failure, you have to simply run back to the cross. Find God's strength. Number two, Paul refused to let outside difficulties get inside of him. It's been said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. How many of you found this to be true? And then you feel like a chucklehead when it's over. You worry and you fret and you're short-fused and you're on edge and you're, yeah, how is this going to turn out? How is this going to take place? And then all of a sudden the event comes and goes and it wasn't near as bad as you thought. And you made your life and everybody else in your zip code miserable Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. I've been around some of you. Well, I guess I've been around all of you. I'm, I'm certainly not claiming to have an answer. Or corner on the market, but I'm gonna tell you right now, sometimes we just we, we just lose our joy, our happiness, period. We forget. The joy that we have is from the Lord. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to let you down. Paul got to the place where he said, no matter what is going on around me, none of these things move me. Boy, I'd like to get to that place, wouldn't you? He said, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. It's a matter of the will. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you that counts third lesson he teaches us is that Paul could continue without understanding everything. (laughs) Some of us stop dead in our tracks if we don't understand everything. Analytical people, bless their hearts. I'm telling you, they've got to break it down. They've got to dissect it. They've got to diagnose it. They've got to figure it out. Sometimes life you just can't figure out. C.H. Spurgeon wrote a poem. said, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. I mean, this man knew, Paul knew about being on a stormy sea where you could not see the stars or the moon. The tempest was brutal. Past experiences wasn't going to help him and those 276 other men that were on that storm-tossed sea. The only thing he knew to do was to trust in God. Do you know what he did? He told those people on the ship, he said, an angel stood by me this night and told me no one is going to lose their life. You must tell others. You must live it out. I don't understand everything, and I'm not supposed to understand everything, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. we got to live it. we got to speak it. We ensnare ourselves with our own words, don't we? Fourthly, another lesson, Paul never allowed the event, the event, to overshadow the process he never allowed the event to overshadow the process I was listening to the radio the other day that's been a few months ago now I guess it was the first week of the year and I, I this is some kind of trend thing that happens what is your word for the year you ever heard that what is your word for the year they say simple is better, so I guess you get down to one word and you live by that word for the year. I guess that's some people are doing that stuff. So I was listening to it on the radio. What's your word for the year? One word. I'm going to let you in on a secret today. Sandra has a least favorite word, and it's the word process. She can't stand a word process. Several years back, we were, went through a, a difficult season in our ministry. And a very influential leader in our lives. He told us some things that would help us moving forward. One thing he said to us was this. Time and the Holy Spirit are your two best friends. When you're trying to work through some stuff. I never forgot that. That really, and that, how true that is. But the second thing he said was, there's a process that you have to go through. A process of rejection, a process of healing, a process of restoration and renewal, a process of reigniting. Well, we were right in the middle of some of that uncomfortable stuff, and my wife looked at me in her frustration, and she said, I am sick of the word process. I said, okie-dokie now. We had already agreed Cliff West was in Revival about an hour away. We'd never been to the church before, but we decided we were going to take the drive and go to church and be with him in Revival, and we, we got in our car. We drove one hour to a place we'd never been before, turned on the street where the church was, and it was called Process Road. He confirms his word with signs following, literally signs following. I want to say to someone today, you're allowing the event to overshadow the process. Stop it today. Stop it today. You are not defined by that wrong choice. You are not defined by that sin. You are not defined by that mistake. It's all part of the process. When it is all said and done... God is still molding and shaping you into the image of His precious Son, Jesus Christ. It's called life, and life is a process, and we won't know what it's like to be like Jesus completely until we see Him face to face, and until then, make up your mind. Yes, I don't want to make mistakes. Yes, I don't have to sin, but if I fail, I have an advocate with the Father, and I can be Forgiven, and I'm not going to let that one bad choice define who I am. You've allowed the enemy to demolish your lives and your perspective and your outlook. You fail, and then you consider yourself a failure. You make a mistake, you call yourself a failure. You do something right, you call yourself a success. Let me tell you something. Paul preached to governors and leaders. That did not make him a success. Paul was imprisoned at the close of his life. That did not make him a failure. It is time to start saying, I will not be defined by my failures, by my successes. I will be defined not by what I've done, but who I am. And I am a child of the Most High God, saved and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's who I am, and that's the victory that I'm going to live in. My God. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. That's a song, by the way. There's people in this room you need to say goodbye to your failures. Hey, there could be someone in the room that needs to bid farewell to your successes. There's a reason why your windshield is 50 times bigger than your rearview mirror. Flipping around, we're going to have all kinds of activity on the highways. And yet I've watched people live as if their rearview mirror was 50 times bigger than their windshield. You live for today. You live for tomorrow. You quit living in your past. I'm closing. The greatest detriment of your tomorrow is the excessive embracing of your successes and failures today. You can't fix the failure. And quite frankly, nobody gives a rip about your successes because they're living in today and tomorrow just like you are. Well, I could spend some time there, but I'm going to resist. Preachers are famous for bathing in our successes. We go to state meetings. Well, how's it going? What's up, Doc? <laughs> What's up, Doc? I ain't no Doc. It's not as prevalent as it used to be, but used to you go to a camp meeting or a prayer conference, a bunch of preachers get together, and everybody wants to tout, brag on how many numbers they have or how great their finances are. Thank God we've gotten through some of that trend. We're actually starting to care about each other now. I'm telling the truth. Past failures. You're in the room. You're in the room. If you failed, come clean. Simple as that. You confess it to Jesus. You get it off your chest. If you feel so inclined, it's biblical if you find a trusted brother or sister that you want to share it with. Notice I said trusted. Yes, God. Say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done, but I accept your forgiveness, and, and, and I'm going to move on. And in Jesus' name, leave it at the altar. Bow your heads with me. Maybe this was for one, two, five, or a hundred people. I don't know. But I do believe there are some people that are tormented by their failures. Could be failures from last week, last month. Could be, could be failures from when you were a teenager. When you were a young adult, in your first marriage, in your past, I I don't know. I don't know, but it's time. High time, it's past time. It's time to say, you know what? I'm I'm not going to let this define who I am. I don't know who needs to pray. This is for anyone, anyone, anyone in the room. You may be a ministry leader in this church and you're still tormented by something that happened 35 years ago it's time to lay it down who'll be the first honest person to say you know what i need to it's time today's the day today's the day for me i'm gonna i'm gonna leave from where i'm at i'm gonna come i'm gonna kneel down and pray and I'm going to say, God, when I get up from this altar, I mean, you go going to talk about this. And when I get up from this altar, this chain is no longer going to be attached to me. This shackle is no longer going to be present. This burden I am releasing today. There's an honest heart. Who's the second one? Who's the third one? Who's the tenth one? Come on. Come on. Spiritual people sometimes need to release some things. Long time Christians sometimes. People that have been serving the Lord for years sometimes need to release some things to the Lord. Come on, is there others? Is there others? God's dealing with your heart. Don't resist Him. Don't resist Him. He's he's trying to tell you you're not defined by that failure. You're defined by his abundant grace to you, who you are in Christ. You're now a citizen of heaven. I appreciate these honest men coming. I believe there's others that need to move this morning. How about that decision that you made when you were a teenager? How about that choice you made when you were a young adult? How about that relationship? Sometimes when a relationship goes south, we feel like a failure. I'm telling you right now, you're not a failure. You are loved unconditionally by your heavenly Father. They're still coming. They're still coming. Give me about four brothers in Christ right now that are filled with compassion to come. Just put your hand on their shoulder, would you, right now? Come on, quickly. But just four, four, five. One or two ladies that are filled with compassion. Would you just come? And I'm not looking for a word from God for them. They just, I just want them to know they're not, they're not in this struggle by themselves. Just stretch your hand this direction. You have no idea how many people live by their identity with their failures. And today, they need their church family. They need their church family. They need their church family. Come on. I only see a few hands outstretched. All over this place, could you stretch your hands? Say, God, remind them who they are in Christ. Remind them who they are in Christ right now reminds them who they are.